Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. On the show today, I've got Odia Kagan. She's a partner and chair of the GDPR Compliance and International Privacy Practice at Fox. Rothschild, a U.S. national law firm. She's advised more than 200 companies of varying industries and sizes on compliance with GDPR, California Consumer Privacy Act, and other U.S. data protection laws. On the show today, we talk quite a bit about what marketing and marketers should know about the connection with data protection generally, what's going on in the landscape with cookie-less world as well as Apple IDFA, and upcoming regulations and amendments to CCPA, like the CPRA. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Odia Kagan. Odia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, I I thought we could start. We're going to talk a lot about privacy and data and the law. And I thought we could start with like what led you to pursue privacy law or, or focus in this area for your career for now? So I started with privacy back when it wasn't sort of a thing, definitely not in the U.S. And so originally I'm from Israel and Israel has had a privacy law since for a while. And so I was dealing with a little bit of that there. And then I did sort of I did an LLM in England 
which was, well, actually Scotland, I shouldn't say England, um, which was specifically about telecom and privacy law and dealt with the EU approach for privacy. So that's sort of when I got to, you know, think about and, con- and, and concentrate on it. And then basically, you know, I have a, I've always been interested in tech and uh, the, the interplay between tech and data and privacy. And so that's basically how it started for me. Let's get into it. There is so much going on in the world right now. I'm, the cookie-less environment is declining. We are now, you'll correct me if I get this wrong, but I think we're three years into GDPR, and yet we still have new states revising their privacy laws. If I'm a marketer or an ad tech company, what should I be caring about in, in relation to data protection generally? The first statement is that you should be caring about it right? Like that's the baseline that we should start from. And as someone, you know, sometimes it's it's interesting, like as someone that does this all the time and reads all the new laws that are coming out and all the developments and everything, like everything seems to me, right? Hey, it's privacy everywhere. But I understand that this is not real life. And there are real people doing actual things out there that aren't paperwork. And that that is has not been traditionally top of mind, definitely not in the United States, because of the regulatory environment. Okay, there have been pockets. And if you are a marketer, right, that's specifically dealing with regulated industries like medical or alcohol or children or, you know, certain aspects of financial services, even though the financial services laws are not concentrated on the marketing stuff, they're concentrated on the consumer, on the, the like, you know, the financial the application and the relationship stuff. So if you were in a regulated entity, you were thinking about it. But if you're like a normal everything else and ad tech and everything, this has not been top of mind. And so the first takeaway that I think, you know, we should get from here is that this should be top of mind. It should be top of mind because the laws okay, laws never catch up with tech, but the laws are catching up with the general attitude. And also, and especially right after the pandemic, there is the public view of privacy and data, which has changed. And if there is anything that's important to marketers, it's public perception. It's what the consumers are thinking about. It's consumers' expectations. And so what's happening is, is, okay, there are laws and those laws may have consequences, but people are now thinking this. And so the, you know, holy grail of marketing, right? Consumer trust is aligned with privacy compliance right now. So the first thing is, okay, you need to be thinking about it. Now, what does thinking about it mean? And there are a couple of, I'm going to sort of do the big buckets and then we can kind of drill into it. The big buckets are number one, transparency. So you need to make it obvious to normal people without like here and afters and there to fours and see aboves what it is that you're doing with their data. And you need to make it clear and you need to make it not vague, right? You don't want to like sneak it in the back way as otherwise stated in this policy kind of thing. People need to know what is going on and they need to know what is going on. Number one, because the law says so, GDPR in Europe has been saying so for a while. CCPA, which has been in effect for a year plus, has been saying that. Now we have a new law in Virginia coming in 2023. That says that too. The FTC has also been saying it for a long time. And now people are thinking that. 
So one, you need to tell people what's going on in an obvious way. And that means what is the information that you're collecting? Where is it coming from? What are you going to do with it? Why? And who are the third parties and other entities that are involved in this process? And that sounds kind of, you know, simplistic when you list those questions. And when I send them to clients, they sort of sound simple. But then you get on the call and then you find things out. It's like, oh, we have a contest or, oh, we have a, you know, joint marketing campaign or we'd like to take this and create lookalikes or we want to do this and this and this type of targeted advertising or we want to track the behaviors of people in the brick and mortar stores and do stuff with it, right? And all of that, not all of that, I'm going to caveat that because there are certain more sensitive things that we should talk about, but especially in the U.S., In most cases, the answer isn't, you can't do this. In most cases, the answer is, you can, but here is how you need to go about it. And so one, and and the other thing that you need to be think, and, and the other thing this requires to do, which is difficult, is to have a serious think about the data you're collecting. And that's sort of the second point that I want to make. So one is transparency, but two, which kind of precedes one chronologically, is you need to be mindful of what the data it is that you are collecting and why. The days of like we're collecting data because it's nice to have and because why not, that is no longer a helpful way to go about it, even though it's easy to do and big data and things are cheap and all that. Why? Well, in Europe, you have there and Europe, I mean, like, why do we care about Europe? We care about Europe because if you as a marketer are working with a company that is a an international brand or that is a company that caters to, especially in the tech areas, because those don't need brick and mortar stuff. If you are working for a company that caters to Europeans and has like a European footprint, they even not you, they may be subject to GDPR and they care, right? So that's sort of the, the, the parenthetical. But GDPR has been saying that in Europe. And now starting in 2023, both the California law and the Virginia law have a requirement that any processing of the information needs to be, quote, necessary and proportionate for what it is that you need to do. And also, as part of the transparency, you've got to tell people what the purposes are. So you need to know, right? You need to know at the outset. So like collecting something just because it might be helpful for some reason in the future is not helpful. And the third reason it's not helpful is that if you are now retaining data, some of this data, location, biometrics, health, mental health, sexual orientation, things like that, those are a category called sensitive information in the new laws. And some of those things are already included in the U.S. breach reporting laws. And so you're collecting information that you may not need. You're going to have a necessary and proportionate problem. You're going to have a transparency problem because you have no idea why you, you, why you collected it. So how can you disclose it? And you may have a data breach problem because you're retaining data. And if you get hacked, and you know, as we know, right, data breaches are not an if, they're a when. We've seen that. 
And so then you're holding, you're collecting this liability. And so this, I think also though, let's not be like the doom and gloom, like lawyer that depresses everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I think that there is also real value in doing this again in the context of like trust. And because if you are mindful and thinking about what it, what data you're collecting and why and what you're doing with it, and you're communicating it effectively to your users, and this is like, you know, you guys do the magic in the communication, then you get a better connection with your audience. And the better connection with the audience is actually even more important now than it was before with, you know, the end of third party cookies and everything. And we'll talk about that separately. So I think there is also, you know, real, like not the regulators coming to get you reasons for doing that. And the third thing that I think you need to be mindful of, which is sort of incorporated, is sharing data. How do you share it? Who do you share it with? And that is the reason for it is that sharing has legal implications, both under GDPR in Europe and under the California and Virginia laws. In some cases, you need an opt-in in order to share. In some cases, you need to provide an opt-out of the sharing. In order to do either of those, you have to know what you are sharing and what, what the reason is. Because not every sharing falls under these categories. Sometimes you're sharing with a service provider that literally just facilitates this for you instead of you hiring an extra employee, right? That is not one of the opt-in, opt-out situations. But there are opt-in, opt-out situations. And that, again, requires you to kind of be more thoughtful and think through your sharing. So basically, my takeaways here is, one, be mindful that this is a thing you need to think about. And two, actually think about it and figure out, you know, what data you are handling and then communicate it properly with people and give people the rights that they deserve in this data in in the sense of choice and control. I think that's the big picture of like, what do the data protection laws imply for marketers? That makes a lot of sense. And I, to your points you've made before, at the end of the day, if I'm a marketer and I'm trying to communicate with a customer or a prospective customer, and that's really my sole intent, it's about trust. Like, can they trust that I'm going to be a good steward of the data that they give me or that I've been a good steward of data that I've received along the way to sell them or market to them? I think we can get you can get lost in the legal language, the here those and the uh, therefores, but maybe it's a big opportunity for marketers. Do you do you feel like it's a big opportunity for marketers to like solve this? Yeah, I totally think it's a big opportunity. I think it's a big opportunity for two reasons. One, I think it's like you know, I'm, I'm sure that there is a there is a, an idiom specifically about opportunity, but I remember. From my um, from my like high school, I remember like necessity is the mother of invention, right? So this is like necessity is the mother of opportunity or and invention, right? Like because there are because of the laws and because of public opinion, I think that one there is a necessity that has been created. Even if you put aside the legal consequences, there are PR consequences right now for privacy issues. We have seen a number of cases of companies that have been 
in the headlines, and I, we don't need to mention names, but everybody, you guys read, I'll read all the industry papers and everything, right? Um, companies are in the spotlight in not a, not a positive way for things that either are not per se a privacy violation under the existing laws, or we haven't determined yet that it is because it's like being investigated or whatever, but they are getting dinged for, I don't know, you know, handling location information or handling public information, which is actually personal information and things like that. And people are having bad gut reactions about it because they're sensitive to it. So I think that's part of the necessity and the opportunity, right? So, and the third piece, which we were going to talk about, which is, as everybody knows, the, and you know, I read ad exchanger as much as the next guy, right? Like every day is the end of third party cookies is coming. You know, the, the, um, uh, cross-tracking app in Apple is coming. It has, it's already arrived. Right. And and we're looking at all the, the rates and opt-in rates and things. So that is also a necessity. As soon as you don't have third-party cookies to rely on, then you need to be more mindful of number one, the so-called first-party data, which, you know, isn't really first, it's second, right? First is me, the person whose data it is. But, you know, the, the data that you're collecting and the data that you're collecting as the brand is the data that you, the marketers, are facilitating the collection of and orchestrating the collection of and coming up with ways to collect. And so because you're now relying on this data, it is up to you. Well, not up to you, but you can step up and play a positive role in doing this properly in a way that helps your client not just avoid regulatory enforcement, which, you know, if you do that, I think that would really be nice and your clients would appreciate it, but also, (laughs) you know, escape a PR fallout. But again, right from the positive side, like really kind of get better engagement. So that's kind of the opportunity and the risk mitigation thing. The other thing that I think, and I haven't seen, frankly, enough of it, and I really think it's an opportunity is capitalizing on the UX experience, the UX aspect of it, right? The user experience, the customer experience, because all the privacy laws, and we are seeing this now more in the context of kids, the UK regulator, the ICO published this thing called an age appropriate design code for applications, which are targeted at kids. And they go into depth in how you're supposed to design the interfaces and not only the privacy policy or notice, right? Which we all know that not everybody would like to read a 20 page single space legal document in, you know, for font kind of. So that's, but even the actual design of the interface, of the app, of the microsite, of the contest, of whatever, right? So I think that there is an, and and when we were talking about transparency, right? This is, I think, an opportunity to collaborate with legal and say, okay, well, we've got to say these things. Okay, which of these things are people going to be like raising their eyebrows at? I think those are maybe the ones we flag first, and how do we flag them first? How do we do that in a way that's digestible by, you know, real human beings? And the ICO, the same, the English regulator, they actually have on their website, like a little comic thing, like a comic strip situation, 
like a visual representation of their app, but even other things like dashboards and opt-ins and opt-outs and buttons, like those people that know how to present things. And instead of, and this is not a blame, this is just like, you know, there's the whole discussion on like dark patterns now, right? And dark patterns are a way to manipulate in a negative way people's choices and behaviors. So instead of you know, focusing successfully on that, which is how do we sneak it under the door and nobody notices and we've got that email and we've got, you know, the three more months of subscription because I couldn't for the life of me opt out. Frankly, forget the consumer protection law, which probably this falls under and forget that. Like, do you as a marketer want the person who is still with you for the extra three months because you fooled them into staying? <laughs> or or do you want the person who's like, oh, you know, this is like something that I, I'm going to opt in. I'm going to stay engaged. I'm going to like, mo- I'm going to follow you on like all of your channels because your stuff's cool and because you're not annoying and creepy, right? So I think that the, it's totally an opportunity here because I think that marketers can really play a role in, you know, making the experience better for the consumer's about with respect to how their data is being used. And I think that that is a win for everybody and moves the needle in the direction of privacy compliance also. I want to tackle a couple specific issues because I I still don't think a lot of people in the U.S. understand CCPA. And then I know it's been revised or is in the process of being revised with CPRA. um, And I'm not even familiar with that one. Can you kind of break down those two pieces of legislation just in the US? So CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, is the first comprehensive US privacy law. So everybody is familiar with HIPAA, you know, unless you're in like some magical planet where you don't need doctors, right? So so if you've been to a doctor's office, you're familiar with HIPAA. If you ever interacted with a bank, you've gotten that weird, you know, chart thing that is the Gramm-Leach-Bliley privacy notice um, about sharing information, like sharing with affiliates. Yes, no, right? The bank one. And then if you are in an industry or have kids, then you have gotten that letter from the, the teacher that says, we would like to use this app for your child's math and we need your authorization, right? So that's COPA, which is the children's one. But we didn't have, until like a couple of years ago, the rest, which if you look at a pie chart was most, was something called an unregulated entity. And they were called unregulated entities because they didn't have specific privacy regulation that applied to them. And CCPA changed that. Now, CCPA is a comprehensive privacy law. It applies to something called personal information, and the definition of personal information is very broad, and that's actually something that's worth highlighting because historically, and for good reason, marketers and everybody else in the U.S. was only mindful of something called PII, personally identifiable information, which is the term that is used in, mo- in some of the U.S. data breach laws. And it is a small subset of information, which if you're a marketer for a non-regulated entity, you never touch that data, right? You don't have social security numbers and you don't have credit cards and, and you don't have like, you know, bank accounts with login. You just don't do that stuff. You have cookie data. And, and then you called the cookie data non-personal information. 
And by the way, tip, and none of this is legal advice and blah, blah, all that. Don't say that anymore. Don't say cookies are non-personal information because they are. They are literally listed in CCPA, IP addresses, personal information, um, online identifiers, personal information, browsing history, personal information, shopping history, personal information. So the scope uh, and inferences derived from this information, meaning this person is a 35-year-old female that whatever likes makeup, that is also personal information. So that's the first thing is that's a big, big change. And CCPA only applies to the processing of personal information of Californians, right? Residents of California. But it applies to companies. There are thresholds. It also doesn't apply to every company, but it applies to a lot of companies that are outside of California because a lot of companies cater to Californians and especially with e-commerce. And I have a lot of clients that are, they don't even have a footprint in the US. They're outside of the US and they are in scope for CCPA. So those are the two big things. And what does CCPA require? It basically requires the big buckets of things that it requires are the things that we started with, which is one, tell people what you're doing with their data. What are you collecting? Where are you collecting it from? Why are you collecting it? Who are you sharing it with? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And when can I opt out of this sharing? Then there is the, sh- the rights. So people have a right to a copy of their data. You can ask the company for a copy of your data. In certain circumstances, there are some exceptions. You can ask that your data be deleted. And then if the sharing of your data with a third party constitutes something called a sale, and you guys are you know better with branding, so I don't know what the professionals would be saying about defining a sa- as a sale for something that in most cases is not a sale as we know it and is confusing, but it is a sale. And the sale, the definition of sale means the sharing of personal information with a third party for monetary or other valuable consideration. And so it doesn't need to be an exchange for money. It could be an exchange for things like eyeballs or analytics or things like that. And if the sharing constitutes a sale, then you need to give people the ability to opt out of that sharing. And then there's other stuff like, you know, you need certain agreements with your service providers and certain and, and, and other sort of paperwork type stuff. But the main things are transparency 
and writes in the information. Now, what's the, the CPRA, which is the newer part? CPRA, the California Privacy Rights Act, this is an amendment of CCPA that was actually passed as a ballot initiative, which is a unique kind of California thing, in the elections in November of last year. And what that means is it means two things. One, it means that it had a pretty significant like public support because people are the ones that voted for it. But it also means that it is going to be very difficult to amend it as opposed to normal because the legislature can't really amend it that well. So so it's kind of like here to stay. What is it? It is basically an amendment of CCPA and it based with the intent of making CCPA more stringent and maybe also more clear. So more stringent in the way of the following. Here are the big things that are different. Number one, CCPA does not apply to employee data. CPRA does. CPRA takes away this, basically it's a sunset clause for the carve out for employees. And so now employees need to know, the employees always needed to know about the data. They had the right to get a privacy notice on what you do with the data, but they didn't have the rights, right? So now they have the rights. Not now. It begins January of 2023. So one is employee stuff. The second thing is there are more concepts in CPRA that are closer to the EU GDPR. One of them is what we were talking about before, which is why I wanted to preview it, is this being mindful at the outset. It's not like CCPA took the approach of, okay, businesses, you are here to do business and make a living. This is the data you collect. We're going to catch it on the back end by saying, tell us what's going on give us some rights in our data. CPRA says that's not enough. You need to do some thinking at the outset. Am I supposed to collect this data? Do I need it? Is it necessary for me? Is it proportionate? Do I really need all this stuff? So I'll give you an example, like, you know, necessary and proportionate is like lawyers speak and everybody's like rolling their eyes and like, what, what is that? So I'll give like kind of an example that may be helpful there is a lot of enforcement for some reason in Europe with respect to CCTV surveillance, for example, or, or biometrics. And in either of those situations, the thinking is, okay, I have CCTV surveillance. Do I really need to set, to do have the settings in a way that they also cover the street or they cover the, the, the windows of the adjacent building or whatever, right? Like, can I, do I need that like how much is the the scope of the CCTV? And when I've narrowed it, and obviously, right, the obvious example, right, can't do it in like bathrooms and things like that. So one, what's the scope? Number two, uh, do I need to retain it? What's the point of the CCTV? Am I like just trying to safeguard my property, prevent theft? So once, you know, there's been no theft, when I've looked at the video, like, can I kill it? And if I need to retain it for some reason, do I need to retain it in an identified way or can I, can I blur, blur the faces? Or biometrics. There has been case law in France, for example, on schools. And there's a new law actually in New York now for retails, for retail establishments and restaurants about biometrics. So the question on biometrics is, you know, they, in the France, in the school, why are you collecting biometrics? Can you accomplish this mission 
what the thing that you need the data for, can you make that happen using something that is less of a privacy invasion than like biometrics, which are hard to replace? So that's basically the thinking that you are supposed to think in advance. Do I need this? Yes. Okay. I need CCTV. Okay. If I need it, what can I do to accomplish it in a way that is less privacy invasive? So that's the one, one thing that the CPRA you know, requires is this kind of thinking. And then there are a couple of other concepts that are sort of more legalese. But basically, one, there is a concept that I mentioned before of sensitive information, and you have more rights in sensitive information. It also calls out specifically um, sharing information for the purpose of targeted advertising. And that was a big controversy kind of under CCPA on whether or not, you know, targeted advertising are a sale or not a sale. And do you need an opt-out and what do you do with it? And CPRA goes, okay, well, sharing for the purpose of targeted advertising is sharing and you have rights in connection with that. And so it sort of, you know, solved that theoretical discussion. And then the other thing it does Again, it's so this is again like you know, call your lawyer kind of thing. Um, you need you need to do things like risk assessments, uh, and you guys, you know, the you, you know, information security uh, risk assessments are very prevalent. But this is a an assessment where the risk isn't to the company. You need to make an assessment and think through and analyze where the risk is the risk to the people's privacy, and so in certain situations, you need to do that. And the other things that CPRA did is, number one, it promised regulations, additional regulations, which are supposed to give us more clarity to know what we're supposed to do and to know how to advise you guys as to what to do. And it also formed a dedicated privacy enforcement authority, which on the bright side is going to give us more guidance. And on the, I guess, maybe less bright side for you know companies is going to be focused on the privacy enforcement, right? Like this is an agency that's going to be dedicated. That's that's their thing. They're going to be dedicated to privacy enforcement. They're not just going to do privacy plus, you know, 70 other things. If we start with like the simple pieces, which is like be mindful of what you're doing. <laughs> Why are you doing it? Communicating it. It feels like that's our best way forward because these re- these these legislations are only going to continue. I mean, like we, we haven't even gotten to Virginia yet, but like Virginia is adding a new law as well, and I I would imagine other states are waiting, you know, waiting in the wings. Oh my God, there are privacy laws popping up. Uh, you know, whatever mushrooms after the rain, or however you say that. There have been dozens of privacy bills this year alone, and some of they keep popping up and falling back out. Right now, the contenders in the ring are Connecticut, Colorado, Alaska, and New York just resubmitted a bill. And there are also like specific laws popping up, right? Like IOT and biometrics and things like that. So I think in that, I will concede that that adds also a layer of complexity, right? Like you need to figure out the which pieces of every law apply to you and what to do. And that is complicated. And that's, you know, why you need lawyers in this. But it is, <laughs> it is true. I mean, but, but I, I've used this metaphor before, but I think it helps, especially, you know, those of you that are doing UX. So if you think about this privacy compliance, you know, the design of a website, 
and you have the back end and you have the the front end the 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 GUI the the UX all that stuff right GUI whatever the back end is actually very similar for all of the privacy laws they all require you to be transparent about your data and some of them require you to actually be mindful about what data you collect and then be transparent about it right and they all have rights attached to the data. And so you need to have a system that enables that right. You need to have a system that, you know, gives a copy of the data. You need to have a system that is able to delete. You need a, sy- a system that allows you to opt out. Now, who gets what is a different story, but that is kind of not the problem of the, of the you know, the, the, the programmers programming the back end. They're just like, I, I'll give you an example. GDPR gives you 30 days to produce a copy of the data and CCPA gives you 45. Now, when you program this on the back end, you don't care. You need a way to give the data and then the customer service people, the people on the front end, they need to make sure it's happening within the 30 days or the 45. But for you, it doesn't matter, right? And like mapping out your sharing and figuring out what that is and having a list of all those relationships and knowing what those relationships are, right? The programmers just need to do that. And then yes, on the front end, the user interface for CPRA is a little bit different than Virginia. It's a little bit different than Washington, which um, failed, but is probably coming back next year. It's a little bit different from GDPR. It's different than the, some of the other laws that are coming up. But and, and so there's work, right? You need to do work. But from you, your perspective, right, the mindset and the collaboration with the different business units and the key points that we flag, what are we collecting? Do we need it? Do we really need it? What do we do to minimize it a little bit? What's the purpose here? How can we communicate this, you know, to human beings? And what rights can we, should we, are we obligated to give people? Those are, those are here to stay. Those are here to stay. And I think those are really the, the key parts of the arena that marketers play in. There's a lot that we could start doing. I mean, like like you just laid out, like asking us ourselves these questions, like what are we collecting? Do we need it? I, I love the, do we really need it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I put myself in this bucket, right? Like you always think that more data is better, but in this case, you're putting yourself at great, great risk. And you know what the other thing that you guys are so well positioned to, and, and some regulators have started saying that, but you guys are so much, one of the key issues that is important in all laws is the consumer expectation. What is the consumer expecting? Even the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, which is the de facto privacy enforcer, right, in the absence of privacy laws, they basically had a statement that said something like, if it makes somebody goes, huh, like, how did that happen? That's not good right? And what does that mean that it's not good? Is it a warning? Is it a PR nightmare? Is it a privacy enforcement? Is it, you know, a fine? Like that doesn't matter because as we said, right, in the in the PR arena, that's already a problem. And I think that the whole point, marketers, like my spirit animal is Don Draper. Like I wish I knew <laughs> how to do what you guys do, but I know <laughs> that one, one thing that you guys do well is figure out what people want and what people expect. And so this is another area where if you can figure out 
people's expectations with respect to the use of their data, that is really, really important, especially in the U.S., even in Europe. But in the U.S., if you are doing things, and there's actually language, by the way, in CCPA that says, you know, aligned with the expectations of the consumer. Like if you are in a spot where you are doing things that people expect, they know, and they expect, and they're fine with it, that is a really good place to be. Yeah, that is, should be the role of the marketer to make sure that we're meeting customer expectations and managing the reputation of the brands or the companies that we, that we're working for. So, well, I mean, this is, this has been, this has been phenomenal. And Odie, it's always, I mean, I've got a few other questions. We, I want to turn the tables a little bit and, and talk about you and get to know you a little bit better. But like, I love how you can describe these issues and you're not using all the legal mumbo jumbo that makes my head explode. So thank you. Well, if, your head had, if you died of boredom in like your head and we all heard a thunk on the table, that would be a really boring podcast. Yes, it would have been. Yes, yes. Well, let's turn the tables a little bit and switch gears. I loved getting to know the folks that come on the show. And I, I think listeners do too, because it gives a little window into who this person is when they're not talking about the topics we talk about. So my favorite question to ask is, has there been a, a experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? I don't think there's been like a, a specific experience, but I think that I am kind of, I don't know, like a fighter. Like I push through challenges. I don't know. The big one is I decided like, I don't know, 13 years ago that I would up and move across the world, right, um, here to the U.S. And when I did that, okay, I'm a lawyer, so I am risk averse. I did have a job offer, so I did not, like, <laughs> just come here with nothing. But I did, you know, my husband and I basically came here. We didn't have any of the stuff that you, you know, that, that, that creates your comfort zone, right? Like, we didn't have friends. We didn't have doctors. We didn't have, you know, the places that we could, like, stores. We didn't, we didn't have all the stuff. And, and so we had to create that. And I think, you know, uh, the, that... I, I, I try to do that in life, fight my, you know, risk averse instinct that maybe made me a lawyer and kind of do brave things anyway. If you were starting your, your path, your career all over again, what would you, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say be more patient because things, you know, take time. I actually had a, a conversation with a really good friend of mine. And he said, well, why isn't this working yet? He's like, even when you're pregnant and you're really pregnant, it still takes nine months. <laughs> like <laughs> you cannot accelerate this process. So one is be patient. And two is kind of trust yourself more. Trust your instincts and trust your instincts and be brave enough to act on them and to do what you know you can do. A silly question, but I like asking it because occasionally I get good ideas to go purchase items for myself. But we've been in this weird situation the last year. I'm curious if there's an impactful purchase that you've made of, say, $100 or less in the last six to 12 months. I mean, impactful is, is like a big word, right? But like, I really like makeup subscription boxes. <laughs> So I got a makeup subscription box that like comes with a magazine, a magazine subscription too. And one, I discovered that 
um, while I may enjoy, so this one I actually did like it's digital and paper. So while I kind of enjoy, you know, looking at the magazine on the iPad, one, I forget to do it when, whereas like the physical magazine reminds me. And two, as my, my six-year-old explained to me, it's like, mom, this one doesn't have the thing that you can smell the perfume with. And so I really like, I like fashion magazines and I really like makeup subscription box because I really like makeup. And so every month when it comes, there's like, you know, new things that I can look and some of them are cool. I feel like that's, I, I really, I mean, that like sparks joy in my heart. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I know where we're going with this next question. Are there brands or companies or, or causes that you think other people should take notice of? I'm, I'm guessing Sephora is on the list. Well, like Sephora is. So Sephora, for example, first of all, the pandemic is going to be over for me when you can try samples at Sephora again. My, my, my daughter's like, mom, can we go and draw hearts again? Because they want me to like draw hearts on the back of their hand when we go to Sephora. So, and I actually once... My husband actually once wanted to send a rescue party because I was there for four hours. <laughs> he didn't know what was going on. So, um, yeah, so I like I like that. And then the other thing, it's not really specific. It's not really a cause and it's not really a company, but I'm sort of like exploring, passively exploring Instagram recently. And I realized that you can follow all of these amazing interior design and architecture um, companies and I really love interior design and I really love like super modern interior design. And that is like very soul uplifting when you see some of these things that companies that, that architects and designers are doing. It's like, it's, it's a very, you know, I know that people can get engulfed in Instagram, but like the few minutes where I see those things, they are really they make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a trip to the museum on your phone. Well, it's like it's like a it like travel, like world travel on your phone. And it's like and then it's like other other people, you know, like other people's houses. It's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, last question for you, and I think I probably have hit on this already, but it, what do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat to marketers today? So I think that the the opportunity, I think it's probably worth maybe restating, but we said it. I think the opportunity is here. I think marketers are able, they're in a position where they are able to alert companies to this issue if the companies themselves are not aware, right, to the requirements on the privacy side. You can, you're in the position to alert them and also in the position to create something that will put your clients, the brands, in a place where they are number one compliant and then, you know, blah, blah, regulatory enforcement, right? Like we don't need, we, we, we get that. But also closer to consumer trust, closer to consumer expectations. And that was going to generate number one, right, less likely to be a negative PR issue, but also, as we said, more likely to actually hit the results that you're looking for, which results are now much more important when you are relying on first party data. So, I mean, I had a conversation with a marketer once, they were debating what to do if to do an opt in, or actually they said something like, you know, should we delete from our system people that haven't interacted with us in X months or whatever, right? 
Like, can we, can we email them again? And it was like a mix between like Europe and not. So the legal answer was a little murky, but I said, guys, like, seriously, explain this to me. Somebody has not interacted with your brand for like six months. Like, do you really need to like paint? Like, have they not like ma- made it clear that this is not right. something that's in? Like, is the are these the people you want to pursue, right? Or or the person that you know? No, do you really want to unsubscribe? No, I don't. Like, maybe today, tomorrow, like that. Like, do you want that guy? Or do you want the guy that is like, oh, this thing makes me so happy. I wanted, this is so cool. This is so interesting. I want to, I want, I want that. Like the subscription box, right? I see this stuff. I try. It's like, oh, this lotion is really cool. I'm going to buy that. It's like, or, or it's like when you listen to music, it's like, wow, this is really exciting. So those are the guys you want. And when I think that, that this is a small piece of the puzzle in making people excited about your brands. So I think that's the opportunity. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 